Mark chapter 4 is where we'll be. We'll look at verses 21 uh, through 34 this morning. I have a missionary friend of mine who lives in California, and he was traveling to uh, South America, and he was meeting with different South American uh, pastors, and one of the South American pastors asked my friend this unique question. He says, uh, when you send teams down here, you're not one of those, this is what he said, turkey slinging churches, are you? And he was wondering, what is this, what is a turkey slinging church? He says, well, a lot of times when white American churches come down to South America, they will often, during Thanksgiving, they'll say, okay, this is what we're going to do. We want to bring uh, turkey to your families for Thanksgiving. Now, there's a problem with that. There's a lot of South American countries that don't celebrate Thanksgiving, right? It's American holiday, so that's strike one. The other one is a lot of the homes that they would bring these turkeys to didn't have, didn't A, know how to cook a turkey, because we don't even know how to do it here. And secondly, they didn't know, they didn't have ovens big enough to cook a turkey. So for them, it's like, why are you bringing an enormous frozen bird to my house? And then, so this is where he gets the idea. He would say, please, if you want to serve our people well, don't be a turkey slinging church. And so I think about that. I think everything in that with the, with the people that are going down to South America to try to serve these people and meet their needs, it's well intended, but it's not helpful, is it? Because if, if it would be helpful if they understood the actual needs of the people they were serving rather than serving them based on what they think they need. Oftentimes we do that and we try to serve others. We think that people need what we need, so we try to meet them that way. We say, okay, this is what I needed. This is the sermon that I needed to hear, and this is the sermon that changed my life, so I'm going to send this sermon to my friend. Or this is the book that changed my life. This is the counselor that changed my life. I've got to send this person this counselor. I've got to send this person to this book. And, uh, and, and so we think that what, we, what has worked for us is automatically going to work for everybody else, and, and, and sometimes it doesn't. So we have to understand What is it that people need? And part of that is we have to understand what is it that we ourselves need. Well, Scripture shows us in order to grow and mature in Christ, to mature as a believer, there's some basic things that all of us need. And that's what we're going to see this morning in Mark chapter 4. The things that we need in order to... To grow. So let me explain the context of, of Mark 4. Mark 4 begins with Jesus telling one of his famous parables, the parable of the sower. And we said last week a parable is a short story that Jesus tells in order to tell and communicate what the kingdom of God is like. And so he uses this story of a, of a sower and he talks about four different types of seeds that fall on, uh, four different seeds that fall on different types of soil. And he says only one of all the seeds takes root and matures and grows. And so he's saying the point that Jesus is making is you can have a lot of different responses to the gospel, but how you know if you had a genuine response to the gospel is if it takes root and you actually mature. So maturity is evidence that the gospel has taken root. And so now what Jesus does is he continues to show them, okay, if it's taken root, then how is it that we grow? What are the things that we need in order to mature? What is it the things that we need to to become more like Jesus? What are the things that we need to love Jesus more and to love others more? So what Jesus does is he tells uh, a a few different parables to, to show and demonstrate how is it that we grow? So look in with, if you will, 
in verse 21. He says, And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed, and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. So Jesus is making this point, and it's coming again from verse 20. Jesus says, if you are a believer in Christ and the gospel's taken root, he says in verse 20 that you'll grow 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. So growth, if you're a believer, is inevitable. And if it's inevitable, he says, then he shows it should be obvious. If you're a believer, it should be obvious. So he uses this analogy of a lamp. Why would you buy a lamp and put it underneath your bed? Why would you buy a lamp and hide it under a bushel? No, right? Why would you do that? You wouldn't do that. You, you would have it out on the, light, the nightstand. You would have it out where everyone should see it. So Jesus' point is, the light should be obvious. Now, sometimes people use this analogy to say this, this is about evangelism, so you want to let your light shine and, and tell the world about the gospel. Now, that's true. There's an evangelistic truth here. You should not be afraid to share the gospel, but it's more than just evangelism. It's, just, it's more about seeing fruit in your life. Light and fruit in Scripture are synonymous. They're the same thing, and it's showing there's evidence that you're a believer. It should be obvious. And so when I think about the gospel— when you think about light, fruit, all of these are just evidences that the gospel has taken root in your life. I remember right after high school for me, I went to a school in upstate New York and I studied the Bible there in a place called Word of Life Bible Institute. And I had a bunch of people around me. They're all from up north. And so for me, they were, I was like an anomaly. Like they're like, say this word again. You know, like I was, you know, they wanted to hear me use my Southern accent, which I don't even think is that Southern, but they would ask me, you know, say this, because in their mind, like I, I like lived on a farm and I milked cows in the morning and that's their understanding of me. And, and so they would, they would talk to me like I was a, like, like what, not even from this country. And so, of course, they're all snowboard and ski up there. And so they wanted to hang out one Saturday. They say, you know, Ben, uh, we're going to go ski today. You want to come with us? And, and, uh, and, like, and they're like, do you ski? And like to fit in, I was like, yeah, dude, I ski, yeah. Like I've seen snow like four times in my life. But yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah absolutely. And I'm thinking, okay, so they're like, great. Tomorrow morning we're going to go up to Vermont. We're going to ski and da-da-da-da. And they're you know. So I'm like, okay, I've got to figure out between tonight and tomorrow morning how to snowboard. And it can't be that difficult. I mean, potheads do it all the time. It cannot be this difficult. And so one of my, one of the, my roommates had like a snowboarding magazine. I was like, maybe there's some tips in there that will show me like how to stand. And uh, so I'm looking at the pictures. Okay, this is how they, okay, this is how they stand. They're just going down the slopes. Got to, you know, it's just gravity takes care of it. I mean, it can't be this difficult. And so I remember thinking this is what, so I'm like, I'm ready. I've got it. It's in my head. And so I'm trying to manufacture how to snowboard, but you learn to snowboard not through reading a magazine. You learn snowboard through snowboarding, like over and over again, and you get good at it and coaching and all these other things. So I get out there on the slope and I cannot even, first of all, cannot even put the snowboard on. And then I can't stand up. And they were like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, 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 no, it's just, you know, normal stuff, you know, just, just trying to, you know. 
And, it, and very quickly, I just said, look, guys, after I fell and rolled over and can't stand and can't even get off the ski lift without tumbling, and finally said, look, I don't know how to snowboard. I just said this so that I could fit in. And quickly, I, became, I was seen as a fake. It was obvious that I was a fake. Now, if it was obvious that I could snowboard, they would see it. They would say, okay, he is the real deal. He's coming down the slope, and he's not falling down. He's doing tricks and hops and all these things, and it's clear that he's done this before. And so what I'm trying to say is I, could, I can't manufacture myself to be a snowboarder. It just has to happen through time and through growth, but it matures, and it shows that it, it's real. Jesus is saying if you're really a believer, it should be obvious. And, and if it's not, if it's not obvious, maybe it's not real. Maybe you're really not a believer. If, 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 people, if you tell people that you're a believer and they're surprised, they shouldn't be. If you're wondering, if this friend of mine, man, I don't know if this family member, this friend of mine, this coworker, if they're believers, if you're asking that question, you're probably already answering the question. If it's not obvious, it should be obvious that you're a believer. And I'm not saying you have to be obnoxious about it. I'm not saying everywhere you go, you need to be singing praise songs and preaching at people. Your bumper stickers need to be all on their back with all the Jesus fishes and, you know, Caleb sticker on the back that shows that your, you know, allegiance is here and all your, song, all your shirts and hats are Christian stuff. I'm not saying you have to do that. But there should be evidences in your life that you love Christ and you love other people and you love God's word and you love God's people. And you, and you care for other people. They should see that. It should not be a surprise. It should be obvious. And so Jesus is saying in the same way, it's like having a lamp that you put under the bed. You wouldn't do that. It's, it's going to be obvious. So then he explains his next point in verse 23. He says, And if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you, and it sh- uh, still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given, and for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So Jesus takes this idea of, okay, if you're hearing God's word, it will be added to you, it will increase, and if it's not given you, you're not hearing, it will be taken away. And he's using this to set, set himself up for the next two parables that he says. Verse 26. And he said, the kingdom of God is as a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts it in the sickle because the harvest has Come. Here Jesus is explaining how growth works in the kingdom of God. And this would have been really a shocking sort of controversial statement or parable that Jesus is telling. Because what people thought that the Messiah would do, when they read the Old Testament and they heard about this Messiah who would come, they thought this Messiah was going to come and he would overthrow Rome and he would be, and we would become the greatest nation in the world, the Jewish people. They thought, we're going to become the greatest uh, people in the world and no one is going to match up with us. Rome will fall to their knees and, and they will look up to us. And Jesus is saying, it's not going to be like that at all. 
In fact, Mark's gospel is going to show that the way that Jesus is going to overcome the world is through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. And so he's saying in the same way, it's, it's like a seed that is planted and it slowly matures and it slowly grows. So he's saying the kingdom of God, he's saying, moves slower than the rest of the world. But when it sprouts up, it's different. Now, this is true because this is helpful for us because in our culture, we like things to be instant. I remember when a movie would be on at, at the theater and you had to wait for the movie to come out in Blockbuster. But before that, you had to hope that it came on HBO and you had to be hope that you were home when it came on so that you could put a tape in and hit record at the right moment that it started and then remember to hit, to hit stop when it ended. And that's what you had to do. TV shows. Okay, we're going to put the VCR in and hit record and hopefully, okay, did you tape over that movie? Gosh, I forgot that that was that movie. And then we got a label better, you know, it's these, these things. And then Blockbuster comes out and then what happens if Blockbuster comes out? Well, that movie that was out in the theaters, everyone saw and everyone said it was great. They're going to have like 28 of those movies on a wall and then you had to go in. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. It's fine. This is the hard days, kids, all right? Just, this, just this listen, how hard it was for us. So we had to go in and we had to get these tapes. And tapes are like, a, it's like a bigger DVD, just for you to know. Um, VHS tapes. And so we had to get these. And if we couldn't find them, what do we have to do? To go to the front and we say, hey, is that movie in now? No, it's not in yet. Okay, who's, when is it going to come in? Tuesday. I'm going to show up Tuesday. It's not here. It's still not here. Who's, who's got it? This person still has it. They haven't turned it in late. You're angry at this person you never even met before. And so you go through this whole season and, and then you're waiting. But what happens now? Well, like Blockbuster's like a museum of ancient times in America. What do we have now? Hulu. We have Amazon Prime. We have Netflix. And we can watch anything instantly. We can pay a couple dollars on iTunes and download the movie and, and watch it. It's right there instantly. Think about how fast it is. Think about how fast it was. Even the way that my generation, when I was a kid, the way we used to communicate, had the really long cord that's wrapped up and tangled up, and it's like 150 feet long, and you can go throughout the house with it. You shut the door to have private conversations. And, you know, what happens when you wanted to call someone who's on the other line? It was busy. And so you would call and you'd hang up and call, try them again, try them again, try them again so you can get them when they're not busy. And now what happens if somebody calls you while you're on the other line, you can, you can, you can mute them or whatever, and then you can text them and say, hey, I'm on the phone. I'll, I'll call you right when I'm done. That's insane. You're talking to two people at once, checking your email at the same time. It's insane. I mean, now when, if we get a busy signal now, we think something terrible has happened. Did they die? It's busy, you know? <laughs> what happened? Their, their phone service must be awful. They need to switch plans. It's busy. You never get a busy signal. Now, some of y'all don't even know what a busy signal sounds like. I mean, with, with phones uh, now, with pictures, if we want pictures, we can have pictures in the highest quality instantly. We can edit it on our phone before we even take it to print. We don't even print pictures anymore. We get them so fast and so instant. Everything in marketing is telling you you need to get things instantly. Instant makes you happy. Lose 50 pounds in one month. It's like, that's insane. It doesn't seem healthy, but you don't have to do anything. You just sign up, pay a dollar, whatever, twenty nine ninety nine a month. You get washboard abs in two weeks. Like, I don't think that's real, but okay, you know. I even saw one recently. It was a belt that went around your stomach, 
And, it, and I'm not making this up. I saw this. Like, I wish I would have remembered where it came from. If you know, just talk to me after. Not that I want it, but I'm just fascinated by it. But there's this <laughs> belt that goes around your stomach and your waist, and it sends, like, electric shocks through your body throughout the whole day, and it will give you abs, and you don't have to do anything. I was like, that seems really not safe, but people are buying it, apparently. It shows the before and after picture. You're like, I don't think that's the same guy. That's Photoshop. Like, but they have it. But everything is just telling you, fast, fast, instantly. You don't have to do anything. You can get everything in an instant. You, you do nothing. You just pay us money, and we'll give you everything you've wanted instantly. And what Jesus is saying to the Jews, they're saying, okay, we're wanting the kingdom of God to happen now. We want Rome to be overthrown now. And Jesus is like, it's not going to happen this way. It's going to happen slow. It's going to happen like you planting a seed and watching it grow. You're not going to get everything quick. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes trusting God. It's what it means. It's what faith is. It's waiting and watching and hoping that God is going to come through. And so we're trusting that. We're trusting that. So he's like, the kingdom of God is like that. And the analogy that he uses is like one of a farmer. A farmer, he, he goes, and what does he do? He, he plants a seed, and he walks away, and day and night he sleeps. And when he comes back later on, he realizes that it starts with a blade. The blade is like the, the first green stem that starts to pop out of the ground. And then he goes, and he sleeps, and he works, and he lives his life, and he comes back. And what happens? He sees the bud, the, the ear, it begins to pop up, and then he comes back, and he lives his life. He sleeps night and day, and then what does he see? Full grain. And what's, what does it say when it's full grain? He says it's ready for the harvest. It's ready for the sickle. It's ready for the harvest. Now, what does it mean to be ready for the harvest? Well, in the Bible, when it talks about the harvest, it uses, it's really two different things it's describing. First of all, it's describing, sometimes it's describing evangelists. Like the laborers are few, the harvest is ready. So we go and we share the gospel to those who don't know Christ. So that's, that's one way the harvest is used. The second way the harvest is used is often the day of the Lord, which is the second coming of Christ. Uh, in Joel, in Joel chapter 3, when he describes the harvest, he describes it as when Christ would come. I'll read it, Joel 3 verse 13. He says, Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision for, what does he say? The day of the Lord, which is the second coming of Christ. When Christ would come, the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. So when when, uh, Joel, the, the prophet, sees the future. This is what he sees. He sees the day of the Lord is here. What does he call it? He says this is the harvest. So you have this example of a farmer coming to take what is ready, coming to take what is ripe, and it's called the harvest, the, the coming of Christ. So when Christ comes, when he comes to take his church, when he comes to take his bride, what is he looking for? He's looking for maturity. He's looking for believers who have the gospels taken root in their heart and they've sprouted up, they've grown. Now, when you hear that, you often think, okay, well, I've got to figure out how to grow then, right? 
if, if I'm going to be taken up by Christ and he's going to come and take me with him forever and eternity and I live with, with him and ever with glory, I've got I've to get some things right. I've got to mature. I've got to read my Bible. I've got to come to church. And we start to think, okay, all these performance sort of language, I've got to get ready. I hope, I hope I'm ready for Christ to come. I don't want to be in a bad place when he comes back. And so we, we sort of, it's like behavior modification response. But I want you to see what the parable actually says, though. Look at, look at verse 28. Notice how the seed grows. He says, the earth produces how? By itself. By itself. Now, there's a Greek word for the flip phrase, by itself, and it's actually the word, it, it's the word that we get automatic from. So he's saying, the earth produces the seed automatically, meaning there's no human effort. If you even notice the farmer, he's like, I didn't even know how this happened. It just happened. It sprouted up. It's amazing. What, what a miracle that we can marvel at this. It happens by itself. And you've got to remember the context. What is he saying? A light. It won't be hidden. You wouldn't hide a lamp. The light will be obvious. The same with the seed. The seed, if it's truly taken root, it will Mature. It's automatic. You can't manufacture it. It's not human effort. In other words, if you are truly a believer in Christ, you're going to produce fruit. You're going to show light. And as you grow, according to the context, you're going to grow 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And so when you look back over your life, you're going to see growth. If you're really a believer, if you don't see growth, may I pose to you that perhaps the gospel has never taken root in your life and you're not genuinely a believer. There should be growth in your life. There should be maturity in your life. You should be fighting sin differently than you used to. You should be loving people more than you used to. You should be pursuing the things of Christ more than you used to, the people of God more than you used to. It should show maturity. So if you're in Christ, growth is a guarantee. It's part of a being a believer. Now to explain this, Jesus tells another parable, verse 30. And he said, With what can we compare to the kingdom of God? Or what parable should we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet, when it's sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the plants and puts out large branches so that even the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word of them as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. So Jesus, to his disciples, he explains this mustard seed parable. And, must, and a mustard seed was sort of like a punchline of something that was small. If you were to say something small, you would say, that's like the size of a mustard seed. So Jesus uses it a couple of different times. He uses it in Matthew's gospel. And he says, a faith like a mustard seed can accomplish much. That, that's one of Jesus' points. If you have faith, even the size of a mustard seed, it can accomplish incredible things. And here Jesus is using mustard seed here as a sign for growth because it's an appropriate example 
because of how a mustard seed grows. In Palestine, in, the, in these days, the mustard seed was the smallest of all agricultural seeds. However, the mustard tree could grow and mature to 10 to 12 feet high and 3 feet wide. So it would start off as something really small, almost insignificant, that you would miss it if you weren't paying attention to something that was larger than all the other plants, so much so that even a bird can rest on it. That's Jesus' point here. Jesus is showing that what seems unimpressive and slow at the beginning will show maturity beyond what we could even imagine. And this is important, again, because Israel was not prepared for this. They wanted Jesus to continue doing these signs and miracles that it would show. And so continue to show us signs, continue to show us this movement that you're going to overthrow this oppression, this oppressive government called Rome and that we would reign and that we would be this, this, these, this marvelous, marvelous uh, uh, nation. But Jesus is showing that I'm not going to build my kingdom that way. I'm not going to build my kingdom based on hype based on fast, instant gratification, instant um, miracles that you're going to see right in your face. I'm going to build it differently. There's a place in Luke's gospel where Jesus communicates this, and the Pharisees, the, the religious people of the day, were often really skeptical of Jesus and his teaching. And so they're kind of, at this point, they've seen Jesus do a lot of miracles. They've heard Jesus speak and communicate in ways they've never heard. And it's interesting because you, you, you find this tension in Luke 17 where they're, they're kind of like yawning at him. They're like, all right, all right, we've seen you do these things, but when are you really going to show that you're the Messiah? When are you really going to show how strong you are, that you're going you're gonna to overthrow Rome? And I love Jesus' response to their questions because Jesus is going to show them that it's not what you think. Look at, look at Luke 17 verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, he said, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, there. Behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. What is Jesus saying? What is, what is Jesus saying to the Pharisees here? He's saying it's not ways that you could see. And then Luke 17 is really all about how the kingdom of God is going to be shown not through all of these hype miracles, not through all of these in-your-face type things. The kingdom of God is going to be shown primarily in the changed lives of those who follow him. That's how the kingdom of God will be seen the most. The changed lives of those who follow Christ. So I tell you that, believer, because if you want to know, am I going to grow When am I going to grow? How am I going to grow? Let me just give you this truth confidently. If Jesus' purpose of showing off his kingdom is you and I's lives being transformed and maturing, how much do you think you're going to grow? You're going to grow tremendously if you're a believer. It's going to be seen. It's going to be obvious. That's the confidence that we can have walking with Christ. That's how he wants to show off his glory to the world, his people, his church, that they would mature and they would grow and they would produce fruit and they would love others and they would fight sin and they would share the gospel. All of those things are evidences of growth. He's saying, hey, if this is the way I'm going to share my glory, how how much will he do that in your life? Of course he's going to do that in our lives. 
Of course he wants to do that in our lives. And so the question is then, how do we grow? What is it that we do? We read the parable and we say, okay, it's the soil that, that grows the seeds. So I don't have to do anything, right? I can just sit and just, I'll grow somehow. Well, no, that's not necessarily how God has set it up either. Not only is he sovereignly going to grow you, but he's also put things in place for you to grow. And scripture talks about it really in three different ways. We, we talked about this last week, but we said, if we were to go and plant the seeds in the front of our building, as we see the dirt and we're, we're planting seeds now, it would be insane for me to say, hey guys, we really want these seeds to grow. Let's all leave the service now and we'll all gather in the front and let's just yell at the seeds. Let's just say, grow! What's wrong with you? Get, get to be a bud soon. Like, I don't even know the terms, right? Be green. You know, we can just say all the things we want to say and yell at it, but it won't make it grow. What makes it grow? Well, I don't know anything about what makes it grow, but I know two things. It needs water, right? Am I right? Water is one of them. Fert- fertilizer. Okay, that's, that's as far as I go. That's the extent. But it needs nourishment, correct? To grow. Just like a seed in the parable, we need nourishment to grow. Now, God has set it up where we would receive that nourishment. It's guaranteed that every believer is going to grow. But what is it that he gives us to nourish us? Well, three things I believe Scripture teaches us that what it means to grow. One is grace. And we talked about these last week, but I'm going to unpack them this morning. Grace, truth, and time. Grace, truth, and time. Every person on the planet, in order to know Christ and to grow in Christ, you need grace. You need to be reminded of the gospel. You need to hear the good news that you were a sinner and Christ has redeemed you through his blood, that he died in your place. And if you surrender your life to him, he'll give you a new life. He's resurrected from the grave. He conquered the penalty that we all deserve through his resurrection. And if we put our faith in him, he'll make us into a new person. All of that is grace. Not only do we receive grace, from the gospel, but we also receive it from other believers. How many times have you had another person say, hey, I'm really proud of how I've seen you grow. I've seen you more disciplined to, to read scripture. I've seen you more patient. I've not seen you lose your temper. I've, not, I've seen you fight sin better than I have before. Those are all areas of grace that God's given us to nurture us. So we need the gospel. We need other people. We need, we need the truth. And that's the second one. Well, not only do we need grace, but we need truth. We need to be reminded of God's word. That's one of the things that God's put us in place. This is why here at Integrity, we take God's word seriously. We want to preach through books of the Bible so that you become good students of God's word, so that the, God, the gospel and the God's word could saturate your life. We want it to be so well that when we teach it, it's not, you're just not just coming here and getting fed by us, but you have the ability, you have the tools to, to go home and read the Bible in context and grow as a believer. You need truth for your soil to be nourished so that you would grow. Paul, when he talks about it, we won't go there, but in Philippians chapter 3, one of the things that Paul says is he says, I count everything that I've done as loss, all the things that I've done for achievement, all the things I've done to try to, try to win over God's favor. He says, I count it all as loss. He says, the only thing that I find hope in 
is knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. What does Paul find hope in? Knowing Christ. Knowing him. Not just intellectually knowing him, but knowing him in a way that he's abiding in his word and he's allowing the word to saturate his heart, nourish his soil, nourish his soul, and build him up so that he can endure suffering well for the sake of the gospel. All of us need grace. All of us need truth. We need truth from God's word. We need truth to convict our hearts. If you haven't read the Bible and it hasn't messed you up, maybe like convicted you to say, man, I got to do something different. Maybe you haven't trusted the truth of God's word to have your soul nourished. All of us need to have our soul nourished by the word of God. So we need grace. We need truth. We also need truth from other people. We need other people to come alongside of us and help, help us grow, challenge us, encourage us. Grace, truth. But the last one, he says, we, we say, the scriptures say is time. We all need time. Yes, growth, growth is inevitable. Every believer will grow, but not every believer will grow at the same pace. It's kind of like the analogy I used at the beginning not every one of you, just because something has worked for you in a season of your life, doesn't always automatically mean it's going to work for somebody else at the same season of life. Sometimes God grows us differently. And as I meet believers, I've been in ministry now for almost 20 years, I've been a pastor for over 10 years. What I see in people's life, and I've still got a lot to learn, but what I've seen in people's lives is that when God matures people, he, he does it through three different ways. He does it through the Word of God, he does it through um, God's people. So God's word, God's people. And the last one, he does it through suffering. Every person that I know, that I respect, that I look up to in the faith, has gone through all of those things. They've allowed God's word to shape them and make them more. Maybe they've even run into a place where they, they saw God differently because they wrestled with the scriptures and because they see God maybe as maybe the sovereignty of God or maybe it's their role as a husband or maybe it's their role as a wife and they begin to see what, what scripture says and it begins to shape and inform them and transform them. They, they, they saw the scriptures and it's allowed them to grow and mature. Or maybe it's just a season where I've seen these people where they've gone through a season where it's just God's people and they say, man, you know, I wasn't comfortable sharing about things in my life or opening up or asking for help. And then I found some safe people who love Jesus, who walked through life with me, encouraged me, prayed for me, built me up. Every believer that I know and I look up to and I respect have had at least those two things. And then the last one, every believer that I know that's maturing in Christ, that I would call mature in Christ, has seen the suffering and they've faced it. And they've trusted God in it. And they've pursued Christ. Maybe the suffering said, maybe they have knew the Bible. They knew what the Word said, but they haven't applied it. And so now, suffering, what does it do? Is it forces us to apply what we know. It forces us to pray. And it forces us to, to reach out to others. It forces us to ask for help. Every single believer that I know have faced those three things. So time means that we trust that God will work in those three ways. And we can't manufacture it. Now, sometimes, let me just use an example of time with the word. How many times have you read a passage of Scripture, and 
you didn't fully understood it or you thought you understood it, and then like the 50th time you read it, five years later, then it means something to you. Like, I didn't even know that was there. That's amazing. What, why didn't I understand this five years ago? Well, God didn't want you to understand it that way five years ago. God in his time and his love and his grace for you allows you to see it now because it takes time to understand God's word. It takes time for you, for your understanding of God's word to mature. Or even friendships, relationships. Man, I didn't have these kind of friendships before. Now I have these kind of friendships now, and I'm, I'm more open, I'm more transparent, I'm not carrying shame, I can be myself, I can, I can, I can be prayed for, I can be, I can be transparent and grow, and I can confess sin, it's not a shameful thing, and I'm loved and supported. I didn't have this before. I used to have like more shallow friendships and more surfacey friendships. Now they're deeper. What is that? It takes time. It takes time. The last thing is suffering. How do we apply time to suffering? Well, the last thing you're going to do today is say, God, I know I need to mature, so I'm just going to pray for suffering right now. Anybody going to pray that prayer today? Right? You're not going to pray that prayer. Suffering just happens. Some people were born in in tougher, traumatic situations, and they face suffering really young. Some people haven't faced hardly any suffering until they're older. But I guarantee you this, if you are a believer in Christ, you can expect it. And the good news is that God will always mature us in it. And so perhaps maybe that resonates with you this morning. Maybe you're sitting there and you're, you're not maturing, you're not growing. But even this season, even right now, maybe you just keep going back to the same sin. It's like, man, why can't I, why can't I fight this? Maybe you're, you're like, okay, I just did the reading plan in January. And January 2nd, I, I stopped the reading plan. I just forgot and I just don't read the Bible anymore. And, just, you know. You feel like, I'm, I'm just, I'm defeated, I'm so down, but man, could you just trust that the Lord, if you're a believer in Christ and you really love him, that even in the season that we feel like is a drought, he's still growing us, he's still maturing us. We all need grace, we all need truth, and we all need time. We all need time, and we never know what God is really doing in our hearts if we believe him, but we can always say, we can guarantee that he's, that we can trust that he's growing us. And so my hope this morning is that you would be able to see if you're a believer in Christ, that God is at work in you. And it wouldn't be about our timing of us trying to manufacture growth so that we could be ready for the harvest, but rather we would say, I'm going to trust God that you are doing a work in my life. And perhaps even this morning, he begins to show you through his word. Where is it that I'm growing? Where is it that he's maturing me? What has he done in the last three years? What has he done in the last five years? What has he done in the last 10 years in my life? How am I different? And maybe this morning, there's areas that you need to press in to where your soil or your soul could be nourished. Maybe for you this morning, it's grace. Maybe you're just frustrated and you're stuck on this hamster wheel of performance. And maybe you're reminded that it's the Lord who does the work in your life. And instead of desperately trying to perform, can I just plead with you, believer? that you would just rest in him and and allow him to change you and shape you and make you new. Maybe this morning it's truth. Maybe you need to allow your soul to be nourished in the truth of God's word. Maybe you haven't been in scripture in a while. Maybe you need to be discipled by somebody else. Maybe you just need to be in a small group so you could hear truth from other believers and, and be encouraged, or maybe it's just time. Maybe you're impatient and you just think, okay, I've got a, this sin that I've been struggling with. I should have conquered it five years ago. I'm just angry at myself that I haven't. Maybe you just need time to grow. 
and allow time to happen in your life. And so this morning, it's my hope that wherever you are, wherever you need to press in to grace, to truth, to time, for your soul to be nourished and for you to mature, my hope is that you would run to Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the one who grows us. So we allow him to do that this morning. God help us. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful and we're humbled this morning. We're humbled by the growth.